Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. WABC debate heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Oh, this is like Nirvana for me. This is like smelling salts. Uh, Anthony Weiner, all the years that I spent as a night manager at McDonald's, East Fordham Road in Webster, and all the problems there and in the streets and on the subways that led me to form the Guardian Angels in February of 1979. Uh, but before we talk about Mac fries and strawberry shakes and a lot of mishigash that has been happening in fast food restaurants lately. And, and this is a subject... For our more recent listeners, you know something about this. You were a manager of a McDonald's. You have probably seen your share of French fry-related violence. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, in fact, a documentary was done on me called Vigilante. Uh, much of it about how I would keep law and order in the lobby of the restaurant, outside, and most importantly, if you were crazy enough to come across the counter. But before, before we get into any of that, I understand that you had a situation involving yourself and police from the 5th Precinct downtown? I guess it is. It's the 5th, right? That's the one in the village. I think that's my precinct. Might have been or the 6th. Might, might be the 6th. Right. So here's the, here's the thing, and I, te- I wanted to talk about this on my show. We got a little caught up on, on immigration. We're going to do a little immigration here, too. So uh, right next door to where I live is a little barbershop. Uh, we don't go there because you can't shake a dead cat in the East Village without a barber. You've got plenty of places. Jordan has his own place. He's got this barber who likes talking about hockey, and Jordan has his own. Nowadays, Jordan just goes in and says, here's what I want, and he points out exactly the details. Anyway, we don't go there. Recently, that barber moved, moved around the corner. So a sh- uh, um, we were curious, you know, as you always are, what's going to be the shop that moves in? There's a lot of vacancies going to stay vacant. didn't stay vacant more than a couple of weeks, and what moves in? is a marijuana dispensary store. Yeah, pop-up, pop-up store. Right, except unlike other ones, and we've talked about it on the floor, there's a lot of, we've talked before, there's a lot of marijuana being sold kind of under the table in bodegas and bong shops and things like that. These guys just put outside signs, just different descriptions of the marijuana and the price right there, no effort to conceal it at all. And as both you and I know, at some point we are going to have legal marijuana dispensaries the licensing is going to be very controversial. There's going to be a lot of debate about it. They're going to give them primarily to people that have been affected, all these different things. But none of them have been given yet. So these guys are going next level. You've described before, you've seen on Port Authority guys opening up card tables and laying out pot there. The problem with that for the police is they don't really know, is he, is he using it for himself? I've got to actually see a sale happen. Anyway, so um, I stop a couple of police officers from my local precinct, and I say to them, are you guys – on a radio call or anything, I said, I've got a problem. There's a shop that down the block I want to take you to show it that's selling marijuana, which you shouldn't be doing. By the way, this shop is right next to a daycare center. So not only is it next to my place, but also I've nominally got a reason to be caring about it because it's a, a daycare center. So they basically say, oh, that's not our job. I'm like, How? of course it's, it's certainly your job. Uh, he says, no, that's the sheriff department. I said, no, this is, not a, you know, I, this is not a civil forfeiture or anything like that. That's not a business violation. This is a violation of law. They're selling marijuana outside. And they said, uh, they said um, that's not true, and we're not going to go with you. I'm like, all right, well, do me a favor. Can you get your supervisor to come meet me here, mm. Mr. Sergeant? There's a, and the way, the way the police department is organized, and some of our callers know this, there's basically a, a three-stripe sergeant who's on patrol in case things get testier, you have someone that whatever. They say, well, we won't do that. There's no reason to. And so I'm like, well, how should we handle this situation? I want to report something. You're not taking the report. He says, well, we're very busy right now. If you want to wait, you can. Okay. So these guys, this is, they're in a shot. They're in Target. I wait and I wait and I wait. I have nothing. It's beautiful the evening outside. Jordan is upstairs playing his game. Everything is fine. So I wait for about 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, and I text a couple of friends. I said, should, am I, should I just let this go? 
So finally, I recognize that they can see me waiting outside. So I step closer to the window at Target so they can't really see the angle that they were at. And sure enough, within 30 seconds after I do that, they, they come out. They go in, they get into their car, and they're sitting there. And they're playing with – they've got papers out. And finally, after about another 10 minutes, I knock on the window and says, do you want to take a walk with me? I'll show you where this place is. They said, we're, we're still doing the – we have to fill out some reports. We'll be with you in a minute. Five or six or eight minutes later, they realize I'm not going to leave. And they say, all right. And I walk them down the block. And the, in, the inquisition goes something like this. They're like, as we're walking, says, why do you care? I'm like, well, it's kind of a residential area. What's going on on 14th Street? It has a lot of concern. Plus, there's a daycare center. It says, is your kid in the daycare center? I'm saying, no, my kid is not in the daycare center, but I have a 10-year-old. I'm concerned about it as well. We walk down, and I point to him. I says, well, here you go. Plain as day. And he says, um, well, I'm not sure what they're doing is illegal. Hmm. And I'm like, officer, they, they literally have a sign saying pot for sale, and here's the price. Right. It's like, he says, well, we haven't been told how to handle this. I'm saying, you do need to be told how to handle this is not that complicated a case. And so they say, well, this is the Department of Consumer Affairs. And I'm going to say, with all due respect, sir, it's not. This is not a licensed business in any way. This is a crime. This is a crime in progress here. And he says to me, how do you know so much about this? And I said, episode four of The Middle. I did uh-huh. some research on uh-huh. this. Anyway, the, the temperature got turned way down. But at one point in this conversation, the guy says to his officer, camera's on. And he turns on the camera. Wow. And I'm thinking, is, whose protection is this for? I don't I mean, I, I'm not a particularly intimidating figure. But they had no idea. And when I left, um, when I left, they were going to walk into the shop. So I go upstairs and I tell Jordan this. And I'm kind of like, because part of this is explaining to Jordan the connection between government and what we do. And he says, uh, you stood outside the store and you told him that? He says, Daddy, those guys in that store look pretty big. Did they see you? <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> so now, now I don't know if they actually did anything, but the moral of this story is that the police, not only with crazy situations, but just the routine citizen walking up and saying, hey, can you arrest someone for selling pot? Right. They don't seem particularly eager to get involved in that. And then you send me a video today about real craziness not that far away, you know, where that was on Delancey Street. It was a McDonald's with yeah. the world that took place? McDonald's, what was it? Uh, 24-hour McDonald's. That's on the stroll there, Delancey Street, especially Friday, yeah. Saturday nights. You can't even walk on the sidewalk. It's so packed yeah, with hipsters right. and millennials like our whole crew here. Uh, you know, where we got Dizzy Izzy. He's down there. We got Kevin, our weekend producer. He's down there. They're all down there. You know, they're getting drunk, uh, a little disorderly, and they all want to sort of soak up the booze either before or after. And they go to Mickey D's, and Mickey D's is open 24-7. So you got this guy who's a regular in the area. Everybody knows him. He's got a nickname, Soho. He's emotionally disturbed. He is, uh, on a regular basis, harassing people, and he's basically a street person. But he keeps posting on Instagram. I mean, (laughs) he's a prolific poster. So they get into an argument, three guys with him at about mm, 2.30 in the morning, and they're pounding him. And apparently what led up to this is he was going up to their girlfriends and he was coming on to them and he just wouldn't stop. You know, he was relentless. And so naturally they had to prove that they were the macho maniacal guys, defender of the uh, of the uh, uh, damsels in distress. So they start pounding him from behind. Now, this guy is obviously stronger than all three combined. These are three dweebs. You get one white guy, looks like one Hispanic, one black guy. They're trying to punch him as hard as they can, rabbit punches in the back of the head. And he's just got his elbows on this uh, uh, counter. And he's taking the blows. And then after a while, they get tired. <laughs> They're not used to throwing blows. <laughs> so they back off and they figure, point made. He understands, stay away from the women. So he leisurely goes over to his backpack. He's uh, rummaging around in there. And you see all of this on video. And then he pulls out a hatchet. And then all of a sudden, the three tough guys are hiding behind their women folk. And in this yeah. one situation, you see this one black guy, he's, the woman is pressed against him. He's got his hands up like he's being held up. You know, she's going, please don't hurt him. But what happens, this guy becomes so disoriented. He starts breaking everything in sight with this hatchet. People are totally freaking out. But then there's another part of the audience that is filming it. 
They're coming closer and closer. This is sort of entertainment, yeah. 2.30 in the morning. But there's the one woman, I guess the girlfriend of one of the guys, she's trapped. And he moves in on her like a cat moving in on a mouse. And he's breaking her table and he's pushing her. And she, her back is against the wall. Yeah. Like she had nowhere to go. She is so totally terrified. Now, you would think the tough guys, you know, took this guy on initially. Since he's all consumed with her, they could have easily jumped him and took him down. No, nobody even comes near him. He finally walks away. He leaves the backpack down. He takes his bicycle or somebody else's bicycle. Who knows? And he goes away. And then in a while, the cops arrest him and they charge him with criminal mischief, three counts of menacing, two counts of criminal possession of a weapon. If you look at the penal code, he's going to get cut loose. These are not the kind of charges that you impose bail on. And he'll be out in the streets of the Lower East Side, the LES, to do it again. He has a history of doing this. He's a repeat offender. It happens again and again. Like I said, people know and they say, uh-oh, it's Soho coming. Uh, remain cool, calm, and collected. You don't know if he's going to wig out. But the 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 of of all the crazy things in this thing, the TikTok of this event is this guy is getting pummeled by these other guys. Calmly sits there and lets them punch him, and then kind of calmly, then when there's been a little bit of a break in the action, goes and gets. He had the hatchet the whole time. Yes, and it's in his backpack. Yeah, he had the, this hatchet. At some point, the the funniest part of the video that I and all of it was kind of tragic, but. You see him go into the backpack, and this one dude kind of senses, uh-oh, this is about to turn. Could have been a gun. Yeah, it could have, it could have been anything. It is, it is interesting. You know, we have this conversation sometimes, and we don't really take it seriously. Well, sure, the crime was with a gun, but, but what are you going to do next? You're going to start putting a limit on swords and hatchets. I think we've all got to start walking around with those Game of Thrones sword, um, shields that everyone carries <laughs> just to be ready. But it is. Well, now let's look at the culpability all around. McDonald's, they have a 24 hour store. Uh, I've run 24 hour stores. They're always chaotic. The earlier in the morning it gets, especially between the witching hours, two and four in the morning, you always have problems. I had them up in the Bronx. I had them at 236 in Broadway when the roller rink would get out on a Friday, Saturday night, and there'd be all chaos. So anybody who owns a McDonald's and you have a 24-hour McDonald's knows that from 12 midnight to 4 in the morning, all hell breaks loose. Apparently, there was no security officer or the security officer just walked away. That's that's number one. Number two, uh, they have to beef up their security because they're making money hand over fist in a place like that. The bulk of their business is late at night with the hipsters and millennials who are either drunk or preparing to drink, and they want to fill up their bellies first because, you know, then they'll be able to drink more. So they're making mad money. The police, I've been down there many times on Delancey Street to stroll. Like I said, you can't even walk on the sidewalk. People have to walk in the street. You rarely see any police. And you say to yourself, this guy, if he gets turned loose, which I have a feeling based on these charges, Alvin Bragg or assistant DA will definitely turn him loose, give him a court date, and he's going to be seen by people in the neighborhood. Now, he's a uh, video star. You know, Soho now goes beyond just Soho. And people are going to say, what the hell do we do with somebody like this who's a menace to himself and to everybody else who's been doing this on a, uh, a repeated basis? And it doesn't seem that uh, the criminal justice system, the cops or anybody involved, social workers, mental health, all these things that we were told about by Bill de Blasio, you know, from Thrive. We're going to get mental health workers out there. We're going to do interventions. We don't want cops to be involved with this. None of that has happened. None you know, of that has happened. So, something, and I was thinking about this this week. Um, I was walking down the street and I saw this this emotionally disturbed person just start yelling at this random student that just walked by. And it could have easily been Jordan under any other circumstances. I don't know if it's a post-COVID thing or what, but if the mayor tomorrow came out and said, I need X millions of dollars more for 400 more cops, 100 more correction officers, and 300 more mental health officers to be at walk our streets, I think people in the city would say, heck yeah. Just we got to do something. There is something going on, and I think it might be post COVID, that a lot of guys were released or that a lot of guys were isolated or what. There seems to be, and you and I have been around a long time, we've seen lots of crazy, no one more than you. There's something next level that's going on. Well, look, 
uh, let's go back to your original premise. March 2020, the lockdown. We needed beds. People were dying so quickly. It's almost like people were being vacuumed into ICUs, ERs. And they didn't want normal patients to be in the hospitals because they say, oh, my God, this is like being in a Petri dish. You're going to catch it if you didn't have it before. They weren't doing procedures. They were releasing patients. And even private hospitals had to take X number of mental health care patients. They released them. Municipal hospitals released them. State hospitals released them. And even shelters were trying to space them out so they had lower capacities. I totally understand that. We were in an emergency situation. But they never went back out to retrieve them. So now imagine you're out in the streets, you're in the subways, you're in the parks. If you were in control of your normal uh, mental faculties and you pretty much were able to connect the dots, I put you three days in the subways nonstop just trying to find the bathroom. It's gonna, you're going to reach yeah. a, an anger level point. There's no food. You're dehydrated, especially when it's warm out. People don't understand that if you're emotionally disturbed – and you don't have water. It just enhances whatever is going on in your thinking process. And this is what has happened. We released all these people, understood, not blaming anybody. We didn't know what was going to happen with COVID. It was killing people. We needed the beds. And then all of a sudden, when some normalcy returned, we said, well, a lot of them were mental health patients. They were on medication. They were receiving therapy. We got to go out and retrieve them. None of that was done. Now, give you the basis State hospitals, remember when Cuomo was first selected, Andrew, there were 30,000 beds. They're now 3,000. If you go to Kirby Psychiatric on Wards Island, 30% capacity. You go to Creedmoor up in northern Queens along the northern State Parkway, 30% capacity. That means 70% of the rooms, the beds are empty. That's Hochul's responsibility. So the mayor can only urge her to take in these health care patients, mental health care patients, but it's really a state responsibility. Listen, when we come back, we should talk more about, like, I think it sounds like it's easier said than done. Getting these guys, the toughest threshold is getting these guys to allow themselves to be institutionalized. And once you've let them go, I'm not sure it's such an easy thing to get them to go back into the institutions. But, I look, this is this is a, a real a real challenge. And I think it, it does not have an easy answer because you can't just go vacuum them up. You've got to cajole each and every one of them because, you know, in a, in a way, they have a legal right to be out on the street. But once they start wielding machetes and yelling at, at, at kids going to school, a line has been crossed. Well, I think I have some solutions on left versus right as we continue our discussion about the growing problems of the emotionally disturbed to themselves and to everybody else. Anthony Weiner on the left, yours truly, Curtis Lee on the right. And if you missed Anthony's solo program in the middle, you can catch it all on podcasts at WABCRadio.com along with all your other favorite programs here. 24-7-365, we're here to give you more talk, more talk, more talk. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Talk Radio 77, WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. This is one of mine. Struck. Yeah, damn right, it's one of yours. That would never make my Spotify playlist, not in a month of Sundays. See, I like this happy, uplifting, jangly guitar music. You know, I would like to pluck my eyeballs out if I had to listen to (laughs) songs like this. Oh, my God. To me, it's depressing. Depressing. But anyway, thinking of depressing, uh, because this is theater of the mind and we've been describing it, this is... uh, this is what we call the power of words to create the images. That's what talk radio is about, the spoken word. If you want to see the video that we've just described what took place at that McDonald's on Delancey Street at 2.30 in the morning, you can go to Facebook at Curtis Sliwa. That's Facebook at Curtis Sliwa. Or you just go to uh, Twitter at Curtis Sliwa. Twitter at Curtis Sliwa. But our crack weekend producer, Kevin Josh reminded us that there was another hatchet man attack, far worse. You may have remembered right outside of a Chase branch in the financial district, 
where the 50-year-old guy was sitting on the ground after a emotionally disturbed guy had taken out a hatchet and whacked him up a few times to the point where he was just bleeding out. It was a horrible, horrible show. And yet we don't ever know how these situations are ever resolved because they're clearly emotionally disturbed persons. And I think you pointed out the cops are very nebulous about doing anything now. I think their training uh, has no specificity because everything is in limbo. So they've been told, we don't want you responding to emotionally disturbed persons. You're not properly trained. You don't get that training at the police academy. We want competent, trained mental health care experts to respond. Okay. And how? That was the whole goal of Thrive, created by Bill de Blasio and his wife, is to have mental health care experts, if not responding by themselves, responding with the police. Anthony, I don't know of that happening anywhere in the city. Well, look, there used to be, well, it still is, that if you have an EDP, there's a special group that goes out and is supposed to deal with them. You know, we have these situations from time to time that, you know, we have these situations. And there are guys in the NYPD who are trained with us. The problem is, and you described this guy Soho cruising through the neighborhood, going somewhere between passive, annoying, and then violent, that are mixed in with a lot of people who are on the street mumbling to themselves, mixed in with this other group of people who are clearly addled by drugs that we've talked about on the show before. It is a whole cocktail, without making a pun, there's a whole cocktail of different types of these EDP, emotionally disturbed people that are out there. And unfortunately for the police, I would agree, separating out what represents a, a threat to what is not a threat, to what is a quality of life problem, to whatever. They're getting tugged in a lot of different directions. I give the police a credit for that. But as you point out, an all-night McDonald's, you know, just like, you know, if you would have a lot of bank robberies, I would, you know, I would be meeting with the corporate executives of these chains and saying, listen, get some security yourself at these places. Like, in, for, for, for example, I mean, when I play a late-night hockey game, 1130, and sometimes I'm hungry when I come back, I'll stop at the all-night McDonald's on 14th Street. You go in, it's like the bar scene in Star Wars in there. You've got sure. the delivery guys who know, who, who know the deal. They're all waiting, and they know that how, how tempestuous that environment the is. The Grubhub guys. That's right. You have people in there who are in there just in the wintertime just to stay warm, in the summertime to stay cool. You've got panhandlers in and out of there. It is a tension convention. And sure, it doesn't all become... Uh, uh, a problem with a hatchet. And, of course, we should clearly point out these are the exceptions rather than the rule. But it does add to this notion that things are just out of control. And, and, and I think that you have to start having the NYPD, have more guys trained up to deal with this. But I think the idea of having a mental health person go along is fine. But it's never going to be or. It's well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the one uh, pressing point I see always. When I or the guardian angels with me have come across an emotionally disturbed person and the police are arriving, they almost never search the person's possessions, especially backpacks. Backpacks, it's like that's point number one. Never forget, we were on a train. We were coming back from the vigil in Times Square of the Chinese woman, remember, who had been thrown in front of the train by the emotionally disturbed person. Every elected official was there uh, to show their respects and to say, hey, you know, we got to stop this uh, Asian hate crime. We're on the train. There's a guy, he's perving himself to a woman, and he's flashing a knife. Get three witnesses. We stop the train. We keep it there until the police come. The police are talking to the guy. He's clearly out of it. They never do a body pat. They never do a search. I said, Guys, you want us to search him? We'll search his boots. We'll search his backpack. You got to search him. And they looked at me as is, as if they were deer staring into the headlights because they are so confused. There are no orders from headquarters that tell them specifically this is what you have to do. And if you're going to leave it up to the individual cops, especially the rookies who have no experience, you're going to have a situation where oftentimes emotionally disturbed persons are weapon have weapons on them. They're armed. They're dangerous. And you're just letting letting them slip through the cracks, and they're going to go out and they're going to use this either on themselves or somebody else. Yeah, but most of the uh, most of the people on the street are not violent. I mean, that's the other problem. I mean, sometimes that you'll see things that they're doing harm to themselves or they're just out in the elements. 
most of the time they're not violent. They are mentally disturbed, but they're you know, but but they they don't have violent tendencies, and they it doesn't turn into violence. I think you're right. There is this larger question about whether the police, because of the post-George Floyd, because of the conversation around policing, whether they really are more timid, not in the – I'm not being judgmental. I'm saying there's a literal sense that they're just more timid about really dealing with oh, some Oh, well, well let's go back to the pop-up pot store. Uh, I had one that opened up a lot earlier than the one in your neighborhood, right on Columbus uh, between 86, 87. There was an empty storefront. Boom. They were open overnight. They they opened the earliest. They closed the latest. Uh, the lights are always on. They they show every brand imaginable. They get every bud imaginable. Uh, you can buy whatever you want. It's illegal. You're and and the cop was right. They've been told it's the sheriff's job because the sheriff is supposed to go in and say, you know, there's nobody licensed to sell marijuana yet. We're going to have to lock you. You're going to have to shut you down. Where are they? I mean, it, it's right out in the open. Yeah, I mean, it drives people nuts. They're not difficult to find. Right. I mean, it's almost as if these guys in there selling it had read in the paper that you're allowed to do it and they just decided to do it. But just I want to push back a little bit. It's not the sheriff. It is a sale of, of illegal sale of drugs. It's not a business violation yet. Maybe at some point there'll be yeah, people. Yeah, but see, this is the problem. They have told the cops on the beat. You are not to make marijuana arrests under any circumstances. We don't care if you find bales of marijuana stashed in the back of somebody's car. And there was too much going on around marijuana. Remember, stop question and frisk. The reason it became a practice was not the act of – they were looking for guns. But really what they were trying to do is get people to open what's in their pockets. They find some marijuana. A lot of people are getting busted for that. Then then, Then they have a justification to run their record, and they found people. They did get some that way, but overwhelmingly there were too many of them. All that being said, it doesn't change the fact that today is this is if you wanted to literally go out on a street corner in front of a cop and say, does anyone want to buy marijuana? That is still as much of a crime as it's ever been. And for those people that advocate for legal sale of marijuana, and I did a whole episode raising my concerns about this. But if you advocate for that, you should be the first person saying you got to crack down on these illegal guys selling off of card tables or selling off of open barbershops. That's going to make it so the community is not going to believe this system is as careful and as on the level as, as we well, all claim I'll give it an is. example. This is before the legalization of the recreational use of marijuana in New Jersey or New York. New Jersey is so far ahead of us. They are so far ahead of us on this issue, as they were on no cash bail. We ought to take a lesson from them, but naturally, we're too pretentious. We're too omnipotent. You know, New York knows everything, and yet, at times, we know nothing. I remember going to court. I had been arrested under the orders of then-Mayor Bill de Blasio because I had to serve him papers at Gracie Mansion. I was chairman of the New York State Reform Party. Uh, At the time, the controller took it. uh, The public advocate took it. Not a problem. The mayor wouldn't accept it. They had me arrested. So eventually I went to court. Sal Albanese represented me because we were supporting him for mayor at the time. And I was having a Crohn's attack. I mean, a severe attack. I was almost laid out. You know, there were 38 cases called before my case. All of them were people who had bought a nickel or a dime bag of marijuana. All of them who had been working. All of them who uh, obviously you said, and, and for this, we're locking up people. So there is that fine line. You got the user and you got to sell it. And the way the law is now, you cannot sell marijuana. Although you think the recreational use of marijuana is legal, fine. For the for the person who has possession of it or buys it, that's not a problem. It's the person selling it. It's not legal. But New York State is culpable because they passed this law. And look at New Jersey. They have already 24 dispensaries that are operating under right. their well, we law. Were, but in fairness, we were slow because there were a lot of questions that a lot of states proceeded with. Massachusetts proceeded very quickly. But a lot of the questions still exist about inspectors to make sure the THC levels are what they are they're supposed to be, giving out these licenses when every lobbyist under the sun is trying to get someone to get it. I, I am in favor of getting it right, and I have some real skepticism about the whole thing. What well, i got to tell you. The, what, it, what it means to be impaired when you're under marijuana and everything oh, sure. else. But the, well, but the ship has left the port on this. I, I agree. But – why we are excruciating of the details about how all these licenses are going to be given and every community board is going to have input and everything else. And we're, we're, we're holding it session after session to get it just right. 
And then some guy just goes to a local landlord and says, I'll, I'll move in here tomorrow. I won't even change the sign oh, from the old barbershop. Oh, the and weed selling. wagon rolls up. The weed wagon with all right. the advertisements on the outside. Izzy goes up there. Oh, you got any goomies? You got any goomies? You know, I, yeah, yeah, right, Izzy. We know, we, we, we know what it's about. Anyway, up next, <laughs> the, the swagger man who has been out partying all week. It's fashion week. My mayor. Has come up. With another idea of what to do with all the migrants that are flooding into the city. And it's to uh, recommission ocean liners that are mothballed down outside of Fort Lauderdale. Bring them up into the port of New York and Brooklyn and house them on ocean liners. Now, I don't know if he's given it any thought. Probably not. But we got to discuss it up next because the costs of doing that are astronomical. Astronomical on left versus right. It's yours truly, Curtis Lewa, Anthony Weiner again. Uh, Anthony, if they want any of the solutions that you have been happy to post on your separate website, uh, what podcast can they go to? Keys to the City. This week we do a second straight episode on police body cameras with uh, with the former chief who started the program and someone who has some interesting questions about whether it's working very well. That's Keys to the City on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You have a couple of podcasts there also, Yes, right? yes, but I always steal from you. I steal your intellectual property because a lot of it is based on common sense. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. No, 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 Dizzy Izzy. Well, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing, Dizzy Izzy? That's the last segment. Come on, get with it. What have you been doing, puff, puff, fast? Why don't you try to get the love boat connection here? We're talking about cruise lines. We're talking about migrants coming into the city. We're not talking about Phantom of the Opera closing on Broadway. So maybe if you had the Love Boat connection, it might make more sense. People can identify with that. Think you can handle that, Izzy? Yeah, here it goes. Oh, my, my, my. That's what I'm telling. You know, the Puff Puff Pass is affecting a brand new generation here, uh, Anthony Weiner. Yeah, but Izzy, Izzy's on a higher spiritual level than we are, though. Yeah, he loves the guns. What can I say? Rastaman, Rastaman, you blood clot. But anyway. Back to uh, talking about the latest idea that the mayor has come up with, Eric Adams. He seems like he has an idea a day about dealing with the uh, rush of migrants that are pouring into the Port Authority each day. We're averaging about five to six buses that are being sent in by uh, the governor of the state of uh, Texas, uh, Greg Abbott. So yesterday he revealed that he would really like to recommission mothballed ocean liners that are no longer being used uh, in the cruise business. They're all uh, docked uh, sort of like an elephant's graveyard for the cruise line business uh, north of Fort Lauderdale where the real boats go out. And he wants to recommission them brought back to uh, New York City, the ports uh, along Manhattan, the west side, Red Hook in Brooklyn, uh, and possibly Stapleton and Staten Island, which used to be the old naval base, and house uh, the migrants there. Now, most of these migrants who are coming here appear to be from Venezuela, some from Colombia, uh, but predominantly Venezuelans. Now, the cost of recommissioning an ocean liner, of getting it up to spec, of then sailing it up to the port of New York, and then having staff on there who are going to deal with the folks, plus... Uh, since we still have COVID, still out there, not as dangerous as it was before, an ocean liner, if not properly dealt with, becomes a Petri dish for that just spreading uh, amongst everybody who's on board there. So why is he whipping up these ideas that just fiscally are beyond our means? Just beyond our means? Because we lack a lot of alternatives and we are stuck with an anachronistic, generations-old court mandate that we have a constitutional right in New York City, unlike other places, to provide people with quote-unquote housing. And a lot of the other options are not great either. I mean, I, I look, it's we had this conversation periodically around using floating institutions for 
at Rikers, right? We still have one that barges, still is. Barges. These bar, it always seems like a great idea until you do the brass tacks like you have in terms of looking at the numbers. These things are expensive to maintain. A lot of fuel is required just to keep them operating even at stasis, let alone when it gets cold. Yeah, it's not a great idea, but I think he has been good about using this crisis, so to speak, about using the national news that has been visited upon a lot of us about immigration. I talked about a lot in the last hour on the middle to try to make this other point to get people to have a realistic expectation about what it means. This is a really tough requirement that the city has operates under that no other city has this requirement that you provide housing. That doesn't mean you get a hotel room. It doesn't mean you get an apartment, but it does mean you have to get a bed of a certain size and things like that. And he's throwing ideas out there, and I give him credit for that. We do have to rethink this. Now, changing this court order, it's, it's a consent decree. You've got to get the Coalition for the Homeless on the other side to say we're okay with changing this in some way. It was a little confusing this week because they sent out Brendan McGuire to kind of clean up what the mayor had said about, all right, I want to rethink whether we comply with this thing anymore. It's, but it's not easy. There are not a lot of good answers. People say just house the homeless. And the advocates, they're not realistic either. Well, look at this. <laughs> uh, Brendan McGuire came out, the son of former police commissioner Robert McGuire. By the way, he was never a cop. He was a lawyer. And Koch made him the head of the police uh, department from about 78 to 83. He said the problem is communication. Well, it's a two-way street. We don't communicate because we're a sanctuary city, a sanctuary state with La Migra, Immigration and Naturalization Service, or ICE. There's no communication. So now there's a demand from both Kathy Hochul, the governor, and from Eric Adams that there needs to be communication. Well, it's a two-way street. No, the communication, let's not – the communication, if someone wants to do a mitzvah in Texas and send a bus busload to me, and I said this, you want to send busloads to New York or send them to Iowa so they can work on the hog farms? That's great, but – you're clearly not on the level that you're really trying to be helpful if you're not calling anyone and saying they're coming, get ready. You know, we're trying to send these migrants somewhere that where they can they, they can be integrated better. It's really if you're the DeSantis, you're not communicating. If you're Abbott, you're not communicating. And that's why there was a conversation apparently the mayor had with the mayor of what was it, Fort Worth? El Paso, of El Paso. Who's a Democrat. Who who said, Yeah, these guys are coming and, and the right, mayor but- said, Fine, I'll let you know. But, but the mayor the accepted them. The, the mayor accepted them. So how do you say to Abbott, the Republican, your adversary, uh, this is unfair that you're sending him no, here? No, 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 and no. And then no. you take 200 Venezuelans who have no roots here, by the way, no roots, acknowledge, no roots, no family members, no associations. Well, and, and the El Paso mayor, a fellow Democrat, talks directly to Eric Adams. He said, send them. We'll take them. We'll find a place for them. That's crazy. All right. No, it's not. So, so let's... First of all, if you have community connections, meaning a, a nonprofit that'll take you or family connection, you are one of these people that is then transported to where those people are. That's why these so-called overnight flights that everyone gets freaked out about, those are those people. If you're someone who doesn't have those connections and you are just in an Arby's in San Antonio and someone says, come to a, a plane to go to Boston, you'll be able to work and you wind up in, in Martha's Vineyard or when you're Abbott – putting people on a bus, not telling them where they're going or not explaining what's going to go on there, then those people can do that except and send them to New York is fine. The problem is let us know they're coming. We're fine. You know this, Curtis. We get immigration. Well, all well, We have immigrants I, I, I all the time. But, We're not saying you can't come. But, but when the federal government has to do their job in immigration, and especially ICE, we tell our elected officials, we tell our appointed officials, we tell law enforcement – there is to be no cooperation with ICE. Not true. ICE, which Only was set up after the true. attack of 9-11 to protect us because people overstay their visas and people are here who are criminal aliens. No, the only part of that that is correct is law enforcement. Law enforcement doesn't do ICE enforcement in New York City, and we tell all of our citizens that. I'm sure you support that. Mayor Giuliani supports it because we don't want – People who are here are undocumented to be fearful of dealing with the police. We want them to deal with the police without concern. Well, but everything I have else- a, I have a retainer here. I'm an ICE agent for an MS-13 guy who's committed crimes here on his illegal stay in New York City. Uh, we understand that he's in criminal court, downtown Manhattan criminal court. We're here to pick him up. That's, a, that's- There's no cooperation. There's no cooperation. Well, we we have – well, but you said elected official. I said the police have their own rules on, on what they will do and not do. But 
the, 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 the elected officials, we deal with ICE all the time. We have hundreds and hundreds of people applying for things. We have all kinds of, of interactions with them. The issue of being a sanctuary city is widely overblown. It is just this idea that the police have come to the conclusion in Republican administrations and Democrat that we don't want this large number of people in our city who are nervous about dealing with authorities, period. We're not going to turn you in yeah, if, you, if, if you present yourself If you yourself declare to us. yourself to be a sanctuary city and sanctuary state, Texas is not, Arizona is not, Florida is not. Why would you not want to welcome these migrants? You do. We do. We welcome them. Well, well why are we then complaining? 11,000. No, we're complaining about, I mean, Abbott, about Abbott doing these things in the middle of the night without telling anybody. Which, which, that's the only connection. Well, We're fine getting them. 10000 is nothing for us. We get immigration well, all the time. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. We Eric are, Adams is acting like it, it's destroying the shelter system. No, no. It, it, he, that's why I said in my comments, he's using this as an opportunity to make this larger point about how crazy it is that we live in a place. And this has nothing to do with being a sanctuary city. This comes back to a court decree from you. No, you, I understand the you, court decree. From you carries day. He's used, He's making this immigration point connect to that you carry era. Right, but thing. before this, because this uh, was, we engaged this in one of our debates. Uh, I said, wait a second. We have people who are staying in our shelters who are from Newark, who are from Camden, who are from Eastern Pennsylvania, Bridgeport. They are not New Yorkers. And he said, oh no, no, they we we welcome them. They're here. Uh, we're going to take care of them. And I said, no, no, no. We take care of our own. Let those other cities take care of their Doesn't own. Doesn't work homeless. like that. It does, do you remember what, I mean, Mike Bloomberg said he got in trouble for it, but he was making a legitimate point. Mike Bloomberg said this thing once where he said, if you take a luxury plane to JFK and you're, and, and you're a millionaire and you come to, to New York and show up at one of our shelters and says, I want a bed, we have to give it to you. Yeah, that consent decree handcuffed. Right, but you also know what else Michael Bloomberg did. He would talk to homeless people who were from out of state and he would sweeten them up and we'd give them money to go back to their city of origin, their state of origin. Ed Koch did the same thing. By the way, if Ron DeSantis said, I am going to take plane loads and I am going to fly them to my fellow red states where they're short agriculture workers. Or I am going to send them even to New York City. Or he told them, he lied to these people, said I'm going to send you to Boston, even to Boston. And calls up to Boston and says, listen, you can handle this. I'm not very competent in dealing with these things. You guys are. Take it over. Well, you know who just said that, though? She welcomes them. Is the junior senator from the state of New York, Gillibrand. Wants them upstate. That's interesting. Wants them upstate because their population is fleeing upstate. There's ghost towns up there. We'll settle them upstate. They have agriculture jobs. I don't necessarily think that the people or the elected officials of upstate have been consulted on that. You misunderstand the politics of immigration. People, by and large, and I read some of the statistics, People, by and large, people who agree with we should either keep it the same or increase immigration are 60 percent of this country, according to Gallup. It's way, it's way different than people think. Most common sense, middle of the ground people say, yeah, we could use immigration. Immigration helps us. And if you're in from agriculture country, some of the conversations I would have in those conservative Republicans in, in Washington who had agriculture districts, they know what immigration does for them. It helps them. They get it. And and if if Ron DeSantis wants, I don't wants, see any of them saying send them here, send them here. The I only gotta, one saying send them here is Hochul and Gillibrand. No, I, you know why? Because the politics of the Republican Party now is wacky on this subject. You can't touch it. Yeah, but years Mark, ago they welcomed Marco, they welcomed the illegals because they could pay them less money. No, they they welcomed. We call them undocumented, Curtis. No, they no, welcomed, I call them illegals. They welcomed the undocumented because they created a system to document them. Yeah, in the meantime, them- the person that they all look up to, Cesar Chavez, head of the United Farm Workers Union, was opposed to illegal immigration because it would take jobs from his the workers. Lib- and he was pro-life. Liberals, liberals compromised. And all of a sudden they embrace him. And I of, said, do you realize what he stood for? You forget in the 1980s when Chuck Schumer and Alan Simpson, the most conservative guy in Wisconsin, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, when they did legal immigration, there was a lot of compromises by the left and the right. But what did you get? A worker program that let people come in, pick strawberries, and go home. You know if you talk to the undocumented, the number one thing they want is to be able to see their families again. Wait, we're wait, locked them in. Wait, we're not I, locked I, them I out. I thought we're giving them asylum because they are victims of domestic abuse and MS-13 and gangs and dictatorial uh, elected in Venezuela, fi- uh, how about officials. 100, 155% inflation this year in, in, in Venezuela, another thing that they're for. Well, we'll be expecting them from Argentina soon. It's 100% there. And Turkey, where it's 80%. Anyway, it's left versus right. With all this taking place, a really bad story came out in the wee hours of the morning. 
right out of the west side of London, which is the theater district uh, of London. It has so much in common with the Great White Way and Broadway. And we'll reveal it to all of you up next, left versus right, Anthony Weiner versus Curtis Slewa, exclusively on WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. About time, Dizzy Izzy. Then I should force him to run through a laundry list of the great songs of the Tony Award winning, longest running uh, show, musical on Broadway, Phantom of the Opera. Anthony, I was in the midst of doing uh, the uh, other side of midnight uh, Saturday morning, and at about 3 o'clock, I got the notice because it went out that. Andrew Lloyd Webber on a stage in London's West End, along with others who had originally financed this project, were talking about how that it would no longer play at the Majestic Theater as of February 18th, I believe the 31st anniversary. That's right, no more Phantom of the Opera. And some people were wondering, is it uh, a result of the fact that a lot of the Broadway shows coming back after the lockdown and the pandemic have not been able to fill the seats in the audience. I think a lot of it has to do with the pricing and it's absolutely beyond the capacity of uh, so many working class people to be able to afford those tickets. But boy, this would be a real big loss because uh, I've seen a few shows in my lifetime. I'm not a big Broadway uh, folk. As you know, Cats uh, I've seen for the obvious reason. Right. And uh, Les Miserables, which actually caused me to cry. But Phantom of the Opera was the first musical I ever saw on Broadway. And I got to tell you, from beginning to end, even if you never liked this kind of operatic setting, this kind of a musical, it grips you. Every song, every routine, even an intermission, you're figuring, can it get any better? After intermission, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And now it's going to go dark on Broadway for September, uh, February 18th. Did you ever have a chance to see Phantom? I never had a chance to see it. But, you know, I found it astounding that I read in one of the papers, the Times or the Post, about this. It was grossing about $850,000 a week, and that was not enough yes. to make it profitable because it has such a big cast and such an elaborate set and an orchestra and everything else. But people have always said about it that it is the quintessential Broadway play for that reason. It's a big spectacle. It's got a big orchestra. It's a beautiful room. But I have not seen it. I am not a Broadway guy either, except every time I wind up going, I'm like, God, this is so amazing. So maybe I'll... Um, oh, you have to see it. Yeah, and also I think Jordan is getting to the age that maybe he would appreciate it as well. So we'll see. I used to go more when Hume and I were together, but um, I, I haven't I haven't done it. Now, was it ever... It, w- it started out as a London production and London. then came here 30 I- and, years And I ago. really, uh, the one thing I regret in all the time I spent in London starting Guardian Angels there is that I never went to London's West End because the theater is there much older, much smaller. You're much closer yeah, much to the action. Experience, yeah. Hopefully, uh, before I kick the bucket, I'll have that opportunity. But here, when I saw it twice... When the chandelier comes down at the very beginning and you almost feel like it may crash into you, the audience and the orchestra pit, and then it just hovers over at the last second. And then you have this monkey who engages himself and it, it just mesmerizes you from the beginning. And the songs, every song is a heart jerker. I mean... I've seen grown men there crying, yeah, yeah. crying their eyes out. All right. Well, you're, you're doing a good job selling it. Maybe I'll try to see it. it. You do have some time. I think it's not till end of February. February 18th. February but you 18th. know, once he made the announcement. Yeah, I'm uh, sure it started selling in out. In the wee hours of the morning. In fact, I had people calling up in the wee hours of the morning who had been part of the cast that went on the road. No kidding. They described 45 uh, tractor trailers would carry the ensemble and all the costumes yeah. and all the necessary equipment. Town after town, where these people look forward to. Yeah. Uh, By the to way, that's Phantom an, int- of the it's Opera. an interesting thing about the overnights that you do. 
it really does have a listenership of a lot of creatives that are up late. And uh, just about any subject, someone will call in who has some connection to a creative enterprise like that. But, yep, it's, it's, uh, it's a good lead. Maybe I'll, I'll try to figure out a way to get in before it closes. And it's so important to the city of New York, the return of Broadway and definitely off-Broadway. The plays, the musicals, it gives people who have creative abilities that opportunity to get up on the big stage. And they dream of doing it. They dream of coming to Broadway. Yeah. I never once heard anybody say, oh, I dreamed of going to London's West End. I'm sure they do, but you talk to all the folks. Well, why did you come to New York? Oh, I had to see this play. Right. I had to see this right. musical. It is, it, is, it is a leading indicator of our economy. When people are going to, to Broadway shows and, and, the, and ticket prices are going up, that is a sign of a healthy economy. Since, since while we think about finance and real estate as being the backbone of New York, it really is tourism. So perhaps it is a vestige of, of, of the challenge. You know, just the same thing that led my brother's restaurant to close, that it fully hasn't come back in, a, in, in the, the kind of like dinner and nightlife entertainment stuff. Well, I see that you will be uh, heading out to Staten Island Ferry Hawk Stadium. Uh, our uh, owner-operators here, Red Apple Media, John and Margot Katsimatidis, are co-owners of the Ferry Hawks. And uh, who are you taking with you? So I'm, I'm from here. I'm gonna gonna pedal over to Jordan's friend's house. Shane, we're all gathering there. Jordan, Shane, Lucas, Chase, and Jackson. We're all gonna. I'm gonna take five kids on. We take the one at the 18th Street down to the ferry landing, and then we're gonna meet my dad. And we're gonna take the ferry across. We're gonna have a fun time out on Staten Island. And see the Ferry Hawks uh, bring one home. Oh, yeah. And there's all kinds of free tchotchkes, shirts. Kids get to run the bases. Looking forward to it. It's going to be incredible. And remember, it's also available tomorrow, Sunday. So if you can't go today, all you got to do is go to WABCRadio.com and get yourself a free four-pack. And if you're out there today, come over and say hello. I'll be the guy hiding under the crowd of 10-year-olds. Will you be wearing your Mets cap, though? I will be, no. I'll be wearing the chaperone's hat. Oh, a chaperone's hat. <laughs> not, not, not the ferry hawk's hat, huh? <laughs> hey, hey, can I lend you my New York Yankees hat? I would, I would rather poke my eyes out. Come on, come on. Wear the Yankees cap. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.